welcome again to Quanta Cafe, um, the, the next episode where I meet with academic leaders from all over the, the world who are interested in engineering education and developing research capacity in their in their universities, wherever they may be. You know, Quanta has been a partner to uh, the academic community for about 30 years now, and I've had the great fortune to meet people from all over the world um, with lots of interesting uh, observations about, uh, about the market, about the uh, the challenges that are facing engineering community around the world. And we provide advanced uh, technology for labs, for uh, modern engineering, for undergraduate, for, for research. And our goal is really to help universities and people succeed. Um, and, and, and so, as I said, I've been very lucky to have the opportunity to meet with wonderful people from all over the place. And today is absolutely no exception. I've got my good friend, Dr. Jakob Astake, who mm -hmm. is the, uh, Assistant Vice President for the Division of International Affairs at Morgan State University. And as the Assistant Vice President, his responsibility is to lead the university's commitment uh, to support international leadership, service, and education of Morgan State University students, uh, and, and so on. On his leadership, Morgan has received two national awards, the Comparative International and Education Society's 2019 Campus Internationalization Award, and the 2018 Council on International Education Commitment to Access Award. He's played a key role in the implementation of uh, the global initiative with the launch of new, new uh, uh, I think, new facilities in Nigeria and Ghana. Yes. Um, and for over a decade now, Dr. Estake has been facilitating the donation, literally, of hundreds of electrical and computer engineering portable lab solutions and conducted countless uh, capacity building workshops for more than 25 universities in Ethiopia. Um, he's a previous, I think, Associate Dean of Education at Morgan State University. Um, and I think, you know, we first met probably 10 years ago around the time, not long after the iPhone was introduced. So we still remember Walkmans, we still remember record players and things. But, there you go. You know, what a massive change since we, we first met. I mean, the social media has become much more powerful and much more dominant in our lives. Um, and, and certainly is now those kind of uh, the technological tools are impacting the way you teach and the way you research. But that's a brief introduction for you, for, for, for Jakob. Um, he spends time in, in, in obviously the United States and much time in Africa. And I'm looking forward to a great conversation. Thank you for joining me, uh, Jakob. You're welcome, Paul, and thank you for the invitation. Uh, it's, you know, it's been, it's, been, it's been fun talking to people from different different parts of the world, but in many cases, you know, we're focused on one location where they may be. We have an opportunity to talk about a lot of different things. Um, and and uh, but, but let's talk a little bit to start with about your role at Morgan State. Now, Morgan State is one of the historically back colleges and universities in, in the United States. Maybe for the listeners, you can maybe talk about a little bit about the history of the HBCU group and, and why it exists and what some of your main goals are. Sure, sure. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to once again talk to you. Yeah, Morgan State University is among uh, more than 100 HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities. Most of them started uh, maybe in the 1850s. Morgan is more than 153 years old. And they were really set up at that time to allow African-Americans who at that time could not enroll in the uh, predominantly white institutions to uh, uh, pursue a college education. Of course, HBCUs, uh, although they started uh, to bring education to African-Americans, they have an open door policy, which means that they admit everybody 
from any race uh, and any uh, background. And that's why uh, we have a long history of educating not only African-Americans, but also we have educated so many Africans who came from Africa uh, and other uh, people. And so it's a long tradition. And of course, now we have diversified a lot. Uh, we have more than 20% uh, of our students, especially at Morgan, who are non-African-Americans. So we're expanding our reach and uh, and so we've grown a lot. And uh, Morgan has been a, a, in an excellent position in the last 10 years under the leadership of our current president, where we have uh, gone beyond being uh, your typical historically black college, which focuses on your students in, in America. And now we have positioned Morgan to be a truly global campus with reaches uh, in Africa and with plans to go uh, in the other areas of the world. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. I was I was thinking, when I was describing you to my wife, I was describing, I said, well, you know, Yakov's one of those kind of humble characters. He doesn't uh, appear to be kind of in your, in your face, so to speak, um, but you get so much done. You know, in the time that I've known you, you worked, at, you know, with IFIS, you work at the Global Engineering Dean's Council, You've just been a part of, of starting a new project in Africa, which I absolutely want to talk about. Uh, but your role with the Morgan State has is, is grown into one of it, like an international ambassador. Would you describe it as an, an, yes, to some yes. degree? So, so yes. what's, what's, talk, talk about your role as the international advisor. Sure. So I, I was always interested in, of course, as you know, I'm originally from Ethiopia. So um, after graduation from Morgan State and I started becoming a faculty and I started my work, I, went, I, was, I always went back home at least once or twice a year to, of course, visit family. But at the same time, while I was there, I was helping out the local institutions who really got me started in engineering education back in the early 80s, late 80s. So I had my connections and I used to go back once a while, twice a year to do some doc projects, supporting guest lectures, etc. And then um, in uh, um, uh, uh, late 2000, maybe 2009, 2008, I was fortunate to be part of a new team of researchers in the US, which was led by, at that time by RPI Rensselaer, where we designed this new portable kit that you've seen me carrying all around the world. And those yeah. kids uh, really were really innovative because in my uh, 30 years of uh, uh, being a student in electrical engineering and a faculty in electrical engineering, that we always needed a portable tool that allows students to do uh, laboratory experimentation both inside and outside of the classroom. So when, when that technology became available in 2008 and 2009 through an NSF grant, the first thing I said is this might be the technology that can really lower the barrier for entry for engineering students around the world, especially in my home country of Ethiopia. So I took that project and we launched it in Ethiopia in 2009, 2010. It was very successful. And I started with one university and I started gradually building it up. And that's really where I run into Hans Hoyer and Krishna Vidula from GDC because they were looking for somebody from who had a background in Africa who could help them launch the Global Engineering Deans Council in Africa. So although at, time, at that time I was not an associate dean or an assistant dean, but I was just a regular faculty. But like you said, Paul, I'm just a quiet type and I get things done. <laughs> so when they came to me, I said, I love the idea. And I told them that we can work together. So we worked together. We worked hard. And uh, from uh, within two, three years, we were able to launch the global, the African Deans Council in, in Lagos. I don't know if you joined us at that time. I think it was 2013 or 14. 
And then from there, we also had our follow-up meeting in Africa, in Addis, where we had the, the Dean's Council uh, uh, meeting where I was able to bring 17 deans from the US to come and meet with deans in Africa. So that led into my work in expanding not only just the portable kits that I started with, but really going beyond that and saying, how do we reform and improve injury education on the continent of Africa? Well, that, that, that's kind of what I want to get to, because I think the comparison between the work you've done at Morgan State and your experience in the United States and comparing and contrasting with that in Africa, I think that's a very interesting conversation. But I have to point out to the audience, you know, when, when you go to Ethiopia, you know, Jacob is a bit of a celebrity in his own right, but uh, when he mentions his name to an audience in Ethiopia, they, they always say, are you the brother of Mulatu? Yes. Uh, so so uh, Jacob's older brother is a very famous and the father of Ethio Jazz, right? And, and he's Correct. quite a bit older than you. Yes, yes. He's in his seventies. Yes, yes. He's in his seventies. And so, uh, I mean, growing up, I watched him becoming popular, and uh, uh, I was always proud to be his uh, younger brother. He's the oldest in our family. I'm the youngest. So right. anytime I run into him, I told him, "One, when I grow up, I'm going to be like you." But I told him I can never be a musician, but I said, I have plans to be an engineer. I said, maybe one day I said, I'm going to come back and do something good for my country the same way you did something good for Ethiopia. Because, you know, he finished his education at the music school, Berkeley Music School in Boston. Mm -hmm. And he spent a few years uh, doing a lot of jazz concerts in New York City with the big, you know, jazz composers at that time. And he could have stayed in New York his whole life. He decided to come back to Ethiopia to improve uh, the Ethiopian jazz, which is how he created the African jazz and the Ethiopian jazz. So I said, maybe one day in my own right, I'll come back and do something. But I never dreamed at that time being young, you know, uh, that I would be, be in a position to come back and help my fellow Ethiopians in Indian education. So, you know, God yeah. works in various ways. So I was so lucky. So when I came back after so many years, and especially when I won the national teaching award from the whole united states in 2013 and the news spread like wildfire in ethiopia he could got calls from the minister's office saying no this is the same name astake astake and they asked him is this your real brother he's like yeah he's my brother so then That's it was funny. really funny that it was uh, fun to follow in his footsteps so we're very close friends and now wherever we're in ethiopia of course uh uh, he's uh, highly regarded in his own right. And now I told him I'm getting uh, edging closer and closer to you be are. a celebrity like him. I think that's a, that's a wonderful story because, I mean, I, I know your goal is, is not to have the name. That's not, that's not your big goal, but yes. you're willing to use it if it gets you into the door, if it gets you into the room to have a conversation with someone. So, so that's, that's exactly. a way of getting, thing, a way of getting things done. But exactly. going, back to, going back to the kind of the challenges that you see happening, you know, having, having done your um, studying and, and doctorate here, well, in North America, yes. and then going, going back, what are the things that really stood out for you as being the, the challenges that exist in, in Ethiopia and other countries in Africa? Yeah, so I told you, I started my injury education in Ethiopia. And at that time in the late 80s, uh, when I did my engineering labs, we saw the limitations in the number of equipment that are available for us. So although all the students that I was friends with were excellent students, some of them were actually much, much better than me. I was just lucky that I was had the opportunity to leave the country. 
I realized that their biggest handicap was not understanding the theory or doing the simulations. Their biggest handicap is having access to real hands-on hardware that allows them to take the theory and put it into practice. So when I left Ethiopia in 88, I told them one day, I told the professors, I'll be back. And I told them I'll be back and hopefully I'll be able to help you. Of course, I always dreamed big, but I didn't know that, of course, this tool that we designed in 2008, I didn't know we were going to design it in 88. So I just told him I'll be back one day and I'm going to help you. And really, that happened. So that was the key, the piece that I realized that as I go to Ethiopia, a lot of the students are hardworking students, just like all the other students in Africa, yeah. the rest of yeah. Africa. When I met the students in Nigeria, I went to Kenya, I went to, you know, to Cameroon. The students are hungry, they are hardworking, and they know in Africa that the only way out is education, especially engineering education. Of course, you cannot learn engineering education just by theory or by simulation. You have to do real hands-on. And so their biggest problem was the lack of access. So when I went to the countryside in Ethiopia, you'll be seeing some place where they do a lab and you have 20 students on one, uh, in front of one station. One of station course, right. You cannot do a real lab, a real design with you know, 20 students fighting over one station. So I tried my best to help uh, the university. So we started with one university. And of course, uh, with the connections that I was able to expand in, in, so from 2010, by the time we did our last workshop where you joined us in Juma, Remember Paul in 2019. Yeah. Yep, so we I went from one university through uh, the support that we got from the government. We went from one university to 29 universities in Ethiopia, where we introduced this new hands-on technology and pedagogy. And of course, we also are really thankful that Concert donated those cubes to Addis Ababa University, where they are still using it. Of course, they are moving very slowly, uh, but overall, uh, education, engineering education, is becoming very popular in Africa. And our hope and belief is that they were, will be able to have more access to these hands-on tools so that they really allow their students to succeed and, and be able to design their own futures. So, so a couple of questions, you know, when you talk about 29 universities, that's a lot of universities. If you had to guess, how many students every year are taking advantage of those equipment? So, exactly. so the, the students, the typical ECE major, electrical department in Ethiopia has at least 1,000 to 2,000 students. Got it? Oh, so, so, so every year, somewhere between 25 and 50,000. Exactly. I've never counted them, but what I've done is I've given enough equipment to each university so that at, at least when they teach the first year labs and the second year labs, they have access to some type of equipment. Uh, of course, we took down the 20 to 1 uh, lab ratio to maybe 5 to 1, which is still high in the U.S. standards, European yeah. standards, but it's good enough for Ethiopian standards. So, yes, I believe that maybe 10 to 20,000 students are having a good impact. And, of course, this technology is getting better and better in the future. Yeah. My vision and my goal when I spoke to the Minister of Higher Education in Ethiopia uh, in 2019, I told her that my goal is to have make it available so that each student, especially each engineering student, has access to these portable tools so that they can really practice engineering uh, on their own. So, of course, that's a long-term project. It might take maybe another three to four years to get there because funding is critical, but that's the ultimate goal. But this is the part that, that, that I'm, 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 I'm on with you, Jacob, that we, we're going to try and make it happen in, in Ethiopia and, and in Nigeria and hopefully yes. some other countries as well. Yes. Um, and, 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 but, but I just think, you know, your tenacity to get the money initially, the funding, 
to impact that number of students. And if you think about it, you know, over a 10 year period, we're talking about you know, three or 400,000 students could have possibly gone through those levels, which I think is a fantastic uh, yeah. credit yeah. to you yourself. Yeah. Um, but 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 you're not just interested in doing doing kind of hardware, you know, traditional labs. I mean, you're also interested in pushing the envelope to teach in a modern way. So, what yes. kind of things, what kind of uh, approaches do you do you think are valuable in terms of the modern approach to teaching engineering? Sure. So the one thing that I appreciate the support of GDC and IFIS is the fact that they brought their experts who are experts in pedagogy. And of course, although I started my project with just with the hands-on, I also realized that a lot of the faculty in Africa are very, very young and they need a lot of training and support, especially in pedagogy. So we came back and we realized that you also have to spend a lot of time training the faculty. So I used to hold workshops at least twice or three times a year in, in Ethiopia. And we had so many workshops in Nigeria and other places where we bring uh, experts from the US. Uh, these are volunteers from GEDC and IP Superbac, and they show the faculty how to do problem-based learning, experiential learning, hands-on learning, doing things inside of the classroom, outside of the classroom. So those are things that we are trying to introduce to the faculty members, to the young faculty members in Africa. And the good news is since these faculty members are young, they're open to learn, they're open to accept. The problem that I have when I first started in Ethiopia was that the older faculty who taught me when I was there never wanted to change. And, and I, I knew that they would never change. But the younger faculty who are the new next generation are the ones that I focused on. And that's really where in, in a, maybe five to 10 years, those are the faculty members who really can help uh, expand engineering education and put it on solid ground. We have started what we call a virtual exchange and collaborative online international learning. That's called COIL. So we launched the virtual exchange COIL Center at Morgan. So what's the, what's at the heart of this? Because I, I can imagine, you know, with an exchange, it's exciting. You pack your bags, you go to the airport, you fly after a, a country yes. and you get kind of yes. immersed in that, in that yes. country. So yes. what are you offering now in, in a virtual exchange? So what we're offering now is, you know, we, have a lot, we had a lot of faculty in 2020 who got their faculty-led travel abroad canceled. So their plan was they were had a group of students of 20 or 30 students and they were gonna go together as part of the classwork to go to Africa, to go to Asia, to go anywhere they were. And they do, like you said, unpack their bags, spend two, three weeks there, do some real activities, assignments, then come back and write their report. All of that got canceled because of COVID. So my plan now is we're gonna start doing the same thing virtually initially where the faculty at Morgan will partner with a faculty, can be anywhere in the world. And what we've done is we realize that they have this type of consortium. So there's a consortium for online learning, virtual online learning for the, the SUNY system. State University of New York has one. The European system has one. Latin America has one. Japan has one. So we already have signed almost partnerships with all of them. So now a, a faculty at Morgan can pick and choose a faculty from anywhere in the world. They can go and partner with the faculty in Europe or South America or in Asia or in Japan, wherever they want to do. And we match them and then they develop the coursework together. And when I say coursework, they are not redesigning the whole curriculum. They are designing an assignment or a project. It's, 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 it's a project. And the idea project is based. it's going to be students from Morgan State with the other university are working on that problem to solve it together. Exactly. And, and, and how, and how excited is the faculty that you're talking to at Morgan State to do this? 
Well, initially, they were shocked to see that this thing actually exists because uh, you know that all of our faculty were pushed in online teaching and because of COVID. Morgan right. only had maybe 10% of their courses online before COVID. Now, our provost has asked 100% of our classes to be available online within two years. Now, this is something that would have taken us maybe 10 years in the previous years because, you for know, sure. faculty, for sure. now because of COVID and we invested heavy. So Morgan spent almost $5 million in last year alone, retrofitting every classroom with a special video conferencing system. So mm -hmm. what that means is that every Morgan faculty teaching to their face-to-face -face students now can stream their courses virtually online synchronously to anybody in around the world who wants to take that class. So, so, so let me just kind of play, re replay that. This from the beginning of the of the pandemic, where you had ten percent of your courses online, and in the space of eighteen months or two years, you've now got technology in all the classrooms now, which yes. enables you to then broadcast and beam it to wherever you want to be around the world. Students can be choosing not to go into class today. You know, no. might, I mean, maybe the traffic might be bad. It might be snowing. You know, so that's I can it. I can do it, and I and I can join, and that's happened that quickly. Um, this is something which is not going to, this is accelerating education in a good way, I think. Yes, yes, it is, I mean, it is. And, and the reason this worked because is because for the first time in history, in Morgan's history, we have three engineers who are in charge of academic affairs. Three. 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 So the, the senior vice president and the provost is an industrial engineer. Mm -hmm. Her associate provost is an electrical engineer that I mentored. So he's an associate and I'm then, and then so she has, between myself and the associate provost, both of us are EE and she's IE. We are running the whole campus now in taking this new technology. Oh, I see. So, so oh, what you're saying is you got a bunch of engineers now. There you go. And we know engineers, our whole life is about solve problems. So when we see the problem, we don't shy away. We see opportunity. And when we saw that problem, and that's why our president once in a while tells us, you know, Jesse, you guys need to calm down once in a while, you know? So we, but the good thing is once the provost speaks, the deans have to follow. So now we're doing this now. So now, uh, Paul, this is not about engineering. This is history majors, philosophy major, and even an English teacher now will be beaming her class. And if somebody who wants to do some English in say South Korea or Japan or, or wherever they are, they can do collaboration. So we are doing that through a whole curriculum. So that happened this year. That's and, a, that's a, that's a, and our provost, her motto is innovation, transformation, and disruption. She said, I came to Morgan to disrupt everything for the better. And that's what she said. So what, what about that? I mean, the, the, that's one big change. And, and, and yeah, you, we, we've talked many times about the, the, the importance of hands-on learning and, and yes. the students touching and yes. feeling things. Is, is, is structurally your first and second and third year changing? to accommodate this, to have a more like a hands-on experience in early years? At, at, yes, at, so we have a second year experience now, which we call experiential learning, where students have to do either a project or a research or internship, or they have to do study abroad. So now I have added a fourth one, which is virtual exchange, got it? So now yeah. a student has four choices, either they can do research internship on campus or off campus, they can do experiential learning or they can do virtual exchange so they can either go uh, overseas virtually or they can do study abroad and travel face to face so uh, of course the travel face to face has been uh, uh, stopped until yeah. summer 2022 
By that time, right. everybody will be vaccinated and the, all, the, all the borders will open up. So in the meantime, I am building up my portfolio of faculty who are teaching virtual exchange. So what I'm doing is I'm giving them an incentive grant to, to develop these activities. And I'm also paying for them to go and get training on how to be an expert in virtual exchange. So it's not like any faculty can do it. You have to learn some pedagogy behind it. And we have we are paying for them to get trained. It's a three-week online training uh, uh, prop, uh, to, to, to teach someone how to teach effectively on, on, on online. You know, and how to develop we, we, we virtual talk... exchange online. Wow, that's that's oh. impressive. So, but one of the, the course you just mentioned, the program you're going to start, which has been announced and formalized, is the mechatronics program. Why yes. why, why, why do you think mechatronics is so important these days? In, As in, you know. In, in, yeah, so uh, Morgan, you know, we don't have like eight or nine departments. We only have departments in areas of need at that time in the state of Maryland. And of, of course, as you know, electrical and mechanical are the two high demand areas in the state and of course in the nation. Then next is you have civil engineering. So we knew that we needed another major where you can mix electrical and mechanical, which makes you our students high demand anywhere in the U.S. So, so that's why we decided to launch Mechatronics. It's all based on demand. Our employers tell us that they need engineers who understand some electrical engineering, who understand some mm -hmm. mechanical, who can put those two things together. So that's how we launched the mechatronics program. And it's the only program in the state of Maryland so that you understand that nobody else has it. And maybe they have maybe another 10 or 15 programs in the whole United States at the bachelor's level. Of course, in the future, other schools will start it, but we want to be always first to the I know, yeah, and, 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 you're, and, you're, and, you're, and I and I do know now that you're accelerating down that path to get that program up and running as soon as possible. I mean, it's yes, not a, yes, yes. So the first a, class, a, yes, the first cohort is going to join us in fall 2021. Wow, fall of this year. Yes. Yeah, and, and I know from my, from looking at other universities, quite often the mechatronics program becomes one of, if not the uh, most uh, exciting and, and and well, you know. Uh, Sorry, the student number of students going enrolling is is highest. That it becomes yes. the favorite in yes. the engineering departments. Is that yes. what you're expecting here? That's what we're expecting. And now with this new technology that we've implemented, I know that our dean is of course focused on recruiting and filling his classes with local students. But I already told him I already have so many international students who might join that program. <laughs> and as you know, Paul, we travel once this COVID is going to be over. I'll be traveling. You know, I usually travel once every six to eight weeks. So I'll be going out promoting this program because with this new, by the way, this new camera system we put in, we call it high flex learning, but we call it highly flexible. Where now students, because of COVID now, even after COVID, have the, the right to choose whether they're going to come to class on that day or they're going to stay at home and attend class that day. And then the faculty will be available at all times. So this high flex model now will allow students to come into the classroom in and out at any given time. And they are not forced to come and physically be in the classroom, which means that a student can literally be in Africa attending Morgan State using this high flex system as long as the time zone matches and they, can and they have a good internet to access the lectures and the coursework. And when it comes to the lab equipment, we can ship them some mechatronics equipment from Kwanzaa, isn't that right? So we're yeah, ready to sure. we're ready to partner with you guys and make uh, create these lab kits so that when we recruit students say in Nigeria we can tell them the lecture will be beamed from Baltimore but the lab kit you can order and Kwanzaa can send it to you and then once they have the lab kit they can do the whole curriculum from Nigeria and you don't need a visa to come to the U.S. 
<laughs> so yeah, but I'm gonna I'm gonna imagine that a lot of the students are gonna want to say, well, this looks pretty cool. I'll do my do my first or second year over here in Ethiopia or Nigeria, and then I'm gonna make it over to the states. So they're gonna That's want to plan. come over. Exactly. Our vision and so is. So you're designing. Yeah. Yes, exactly. We're designing a system where you don't have to spend four years in Baltimore. If you want to spend four years in Baltimore at Morgan, congratulations, you can do it. But if you say I want to do two years at home and then you do two years at Morgan, so we are now about to launch a lot of what we call two plus two programs or two plus three, dual degree where a student in Nigeria or Ghana or anywhere in Africa or in Ethiopia can do their first two years in locally, then they come to Morgan and then once they go back, they're going to get two degrees, one from Morgan and one from their local university back home. And then when they want to get employed locally, they can either use the American degree or the local degree. If they mm -hmm. want to get employed overseas, they can also use the American degrees, which is got our, we have ABET accreditation. So all, our, and then the other programs that we offer also are accredited at the national level. So that's our vision. And now you see why I had to move away from engineering because this thing became so big that I said, I need to do something at a bigger level. So I had a conversation with our president and that's how I ended up with this position where, where he warned me, he said, I'm stuck now. When you become AVP, you're not focusing on only on engineering. You have to go and promote our business school, <laughs> our school of education, uh, our school of uh, public health and policy. So what I'm doing now is, yes, I'm still biased towards engineering, but I have to promote all our programs. So we are about to launch MBA programs and other programs also internationally in Africa, especially. Wow. I mean, you know, you make you make it sound so easy that, that you just wake up one day and you, you want to merge a bunch of uh, courses. You want to create two plus two courses. You want to bring 18 different international courses across the camp. I mean, this is not trivial work. And I know you're working full time and we're going to be, um, I, I'm pretty sure, joined to the hip in a few projects over the next uh, little, little while. Definitely. You've always been a really good friend of, of, of mine and of Quantz's. Uh, yes. Quanta does know how much, uh, how committed you are to, to making things better for young students. Um, Definitely. But, I, you know, I, it, it's, it's kind of interesting, don't you think, that now it, it's come at the same time. You know, we've been traveling for a number of years. It's come at, Yes. Everybody's talking about engineering education reform. It's needed. Curriculum reform. We need to review what goes into the programs. Yes. And now, you know, and now as I'm getting older, and I know you don't look any older, but you are getting older as well. I'm getting older, seeing, definitely. We, we're seeing people who are maybe 10 years younger than us taking influential position, people in their mid-40s, people, you know, becoming, you know, chair, you know, chairs of departments who are not going to be satisfied with the old way of doing things, and they want the new technology in their labs. Yes. Um, and you got this, and, and the students themselves, I mean, a different generation, those Students we met in Ethiopia together, they, uh, they're all on social media. They, they can yes. access everything that we can access. So they're yes. kind of better in tune with what's needed, I think, yes. maybe than we were. Definitely. Uh, so, so, you know, all this, all this is coming together. You know, I use the term, the perfect storm, you know, yes. the, the generation of students, the technology to enable it now, um, you know, faculty who are digital natives kind of getting into positions. But uh, to have have someone like yourself who's been around the block a number of times to kind of mm -hmm. guide them and help them, I think it's 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 really exciting. Um, the job that you have is a big one. Clearly, it's not just engineering; it's the whole the whole of the university. And I know you're also an ambassador for HBCUs as well as Ethiopia. 
Yes. And and you can probably play some Ethiopian jazz if you would really try it hard, couldn't you? No, no, no. I'll, I'll leave that for my brother. <laughs> I'm really talented. But yes, I enjoy. Uh, and that, like I said, I, for me, what gives me passion, and, and that's really why I appreciate uh, uh, you, Paul, as a friend, but also as a colleague and as a partner. You are really dedicated. And I see you at all these conferences, especially in Africa, developing nations who need all the support. So really appreciate your support. And I think by working together, we can make a huge difference. And as you know, um, well, I told my president four years ago that the future of expansion of higher education is going to be in Africa because 65% mm -hmm. of the African population is under 25. So if you, and the US is, we are fighting, you don't know how many universities are fighting each other trying to recruit 18 to 21 year olds to come to college. But you know, the US students don't want to come to college anymore. You can get a certification from Amazon or from a Microsoft in three months, you can make $80,000. So they said, why should I stay four years in college and get an education and be settled in debt when I can easily get a job? So we are all pushing towards a new uh, area and we believe that the uh, future of higher education will be in Africa. And that's why we are planting the seeds and investing heavy. And hopefully these seeds will bloom in five to 10 years where uh, we will have maybe half of our students coming in Africa. And, and I think that Africa needs to also train their own population so that they solve their own problems. But Look you know, we, you know. That, 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 that is one of the key, key issues that we talk about. It's solving their own problems using yes. technology that they have access to um, for a price they can afford. You know, there, you there, there are problems over there that don't exist over here where you know, we wouldn't even think about solving those problems. Exactly, exactly. I'm, yes. looking, I'm looking forward to maybe having a Kwanzaa cafe somewhere over in Addis Ababa. Definitely. You can go to the Institute of Technology over there and you can show me all the new labs and all the new work that they've done and the incubators that are starting up new business. Because I know yes. that's where your head is. You want to yes. see these students create IP, create engineering designs that can be built and manufactured there. Locally, there you Exactly, exactly. Oh, you're always an always inspiration, Jacob. Thank you Definitely. so much for taking the time. Sure, um, sure. And, and I, can't, I can't wait to pop down to Baltimore or jump on a plane and meet yes. you in Lagos or, or somewhere. I, I know we spoke about it so many times that me coming to, uh, to Toronto and you coming to Baltimore, I guess COVID <laughs> you know, stopped that, but I think that uh, very soon that all the borders will open up we will have all have our vaccinations and hopefully we'll be able to travel freely and uh, we'll spend some time together <laughs> well i think it's ironic that you know it's a one-hour flight from toronto to baltimore and we've never met in either place exactly never but maybe a dozen places exactly <laughs> i guess for you and i we cannot meet within maybe three thousand miles we have to go seven or eight thousand miles and that's the only way we can meet each other so <laughs> I'm looking forward well, to seeing you again. Well, I, I look forward to it. And for those of you that don't know, you know, um, if you can't tell already, if you see uh, Dr. Astake on a, on a program speaking or, or there, make sure to go and meet him because he's a lot of fun to hang out with. Take care. Okay. Yeah, Thank you so much, Paul. Bye-bye.